It may not be on the mountain height or over the stormy sea. It may not be at the battle's front, my Lord would have need of me. But if by a still small voice he calls to pass that I do not know, Answer, dear Lord, with my hand in thine, I'll go where you want me to go. I'll go where you want me to go, dear I'd like to welcome everybody to the 17th uh, Salt Lake Sunstone Symposium. Uh, I'm Kent Frogley. I am the uh, vice chair of the Sunstone Board of Trustees. It's nice to gather tonight in what has historically been one of my favorite sessions here at the symposium. Albert Peck, as you all know, is the... Albert, what are you? The, the executive editor, director, publisher, Sunstone magnate. And uh, he's the individual, along with uh, help from a lot of his friends and colleagues, that puts this together every year. I've known Albert since 1985 or 86, and he's become a very close and dear friend to me. And he's somebody that I admire greatly, and I respect his insights into theology, into the human experience, and into situations and ideas that, are, that we as Mormons confront. Um, Albert, just for his credentials, graduated uh, from Brigham Young University with a degree in political science and philosophy. And then he returned and received a degree, a master's degree in public administration. And he was an urban planner for a while and then came to Sunstone in 1986. I've, um, for years, played around with how people have titled their pillars of my faith. For those of you who've been a frequent attender of these sessions, you know that most, many people end up rejecting the metaphor of pillars and replacing them with other metaphors. Mary Bradford replaced it with pillows of her faith, which she could rest her head on. And, um, um, well, we'll go. I have named my, my pillars of my faith the remnants of my faith, <laughs> which is not as cynical as it may seem at the start. Um, I think my faith, um, I grew up and my faith was cultivated in a wonderful culture that the way I remember it, it could have been a Frank Capra movie or a Norman Rockwell painting. I had wonderful parents who loved me and uh, took me to church and had a very realistic view of church and would talk about the people in the ward. I grew to love the members of the various wards I was in. My parents belonged to incredible study groups just heroes, everyday heroes, people who I still feel, even though I haven't seen them for 20 years, if I called them and told them I was Gene and Eldest's son, they would come at 3 in the morning to help me. I felt uh, very connected. had wonderful ward leaders who mentored me spiritually and intellectually. I blossomed socially within the church's organizations, Hilcomore pageant trips, which were spiritual feasts, um, youth conferences, many opportunities to serve and to plan and to organize 
and to be valued and to show that I had value and to um, help friends and be helped by them. Um, my spirituality and my sociality came together and were, were one and they were within the Mormon community, within the ward structure. I, um, it was just a wonderful time period. Emma Luthane described her pillars of my faith as a great sea that supports and buoys her up. I feel the same way about my growing up in the church. It was just a wonderful experience. I learned to love God, and as the way many teenagers would bear testimonies at youth conference, they'd say, I know the church is true, and I love every one of you. Um, in the same way, my testimony of the church and of God was so linked to the people I grew up with. They were one and the same. And... Um, and uh, the, that emotional, spiritual binding of those uh, of, of both of, of that was such an incredible experience. BYU provided the same experience for me to serve, to be served, to love, and to be loved. Uh, um, my mission was an incredible time. I remember once on my mission when I was working in Santa Rosa, California. I um, there was a period for four or five months where I really felt that I had, uh, looking back on it, the attributes of charity. And I'd just like to read those from Corinthians because they, they described me at that time. Um, this is from a different translation where it talks about how love is patient and kind, envious, no one, is never boastful, never conceited, never rude, love is never selfish, never quick to take offense, love keeps no score of wrongs, takes no pleasure in the sins of others, but delights in truth. There is nothing love cannot face. There is no limit to its faith, its hope, its endurance. Love will never come to an end. That's how I was during this time period. I, um, I loved everyone, the, the jerky missionaries, the members who wouldn't help us. And I felt calm and I felt at peace. I would wake up in the morning and feast upon the scriptures and my companion who refused to tract and just took pictures all day long. I loved him and maybe for that reason. <laughs> uh, at that time, the po- one of the popular songs on the radio, which we listened against mission rules, uh, was uh, Louis Newton-John's Have You Never Been Mellow? And to me, that song spoke to that mellow feeling I felt of a peace with myself, with God, and with everyone I met. It was a wonderful time period. I've had experiences like that uh, since then, um, sometimes through church calling, sometimes not um, on, on my own. And they've always given me a goal that there is a spiritual level of peacefulness and calmness and contentness that I can achieve. And so it's never been some abstract thing that I've read in scriptures. It's been an experience. My mission provided me also with other spiritual experiences, which blossomed after my mission, as I served in several elders' corn presidencies and as president. And um, as I as I came, primarily through reading Parley P. Pratt's autobiography, to love the concept of the church being the kingdom of God in embryo, and it's our job to help Christ come by building His kingdom here on earth. The, the idea of establishing Zion gave my whole life a unity and a purpose and a love and a passion that defined my life for many, for many, many years. Um, that was all very good, and I am very grateful for all of that, and it is still very much a part of me. I don't feel disconnected from that aspect of my life at all. 
um, although I understand a lot of those feelings um, and thoughts uh, somewhat differently at times. Um, then came a period where much of what I believed I no longer came to believe. Um, I think it began when I was working at the Missionary Training Center as, uh, as a research assistant um, and my bosses, bosses were general authorities and we had regular reports on the inner politics and workings of the brethren, particularly concerning missionary policy. It's quite dis- discouraging to me uh, because the notion I had of prophetic leaders just was not um, evident there. So I had to ask myself the question, well, what does this tell me about how God operates among humans? And I had to begin revising and revising and revising and revising and increasingly adding a human overlay, a human overlay, a human overlay to any belief I had in divinity working through human leaders. Um, Then I started studying Mormon history and found the problems I discovered with contemporary church history multiplied a lot. And... uh, that plus um, coming to realize how so many things are bound in one's culture and one's context, I began to doubt everything that I believed, whether it was, and maybe it was all just socially constructed, and the feelings I had were socially constructed and, um, and given to me by my, by my culture and my community, and what indeed was true. And I was seeking for an absolute truth, no doubt. I remember once, I'd like to tell two feelings, two experiences from this time. Once I remember walking home from work across the parking lot in the church office building, or next to the church office building, and thinking, what, what do I believe? Do I believe this? I don't know. Do I believe that? No, I don't believe this. Do I believe this? No, I don't believe that. Do I believe Joseph Smith was a prophet? I don't know. Do I believe Jesus Christ was uh, divine? Maybe, although that was hard because I'd had real spiritual experiences with Christ. Do I believe God is the Father? Probably, but that's not absolute. What do I believe? And everything was stripped away down to, I believe that there is a spiritual side to life. That's something I could not deny. I'd experienced it so many times in so many ways. I, I could not deny it because I didn't want to live a life without any sense of spirituality. And from that experience, I had to recreate my life. And that's where I get the title, Remnants of My Faith. Many things which I once believed, I no longer do believe. What remains of my belief, however, I am much more sure in my belief, in those remnants. And of those remnants, I I feel similarly about my life as the prophets would prophesy about Babylon uh, and, and Israel being carried into Babylon and how God would take a righteous remnant back to Israel to build a new kingdom. I feel that has been done with my remnants. They, I wandered in the wilderness. I was carried off into Babylon. And the remnant of my faith which came back, I have built a new and stronger faith from that. Another experience I had during the same time period, which was long before I became editor of Sunstone, was I had the occasion to go down to BYU on some errand. After I fulfilled the errand, I took a nostalgic walk along around the campus. And I walked around the dorms and remembered my dorm life, and I walked and remembered some of my favorite classes, and uh, I'm sure many of you have had a similar experience. It's quite nostalgic, quite sentimental, 
quite self-indulgent. Oh, woe is me, what has happened to me? I'm weeping by the waters of Zion even, not even Babylon. <laughs> and uh, I, I started wandering through the maze of halls and secret passageways in the Harris Fine Arts Center. I came, came, entered through the back way into the Pardo Theater where our ward met once when I was a student there and when I was Elders Corps President, which had been a blessed time of community. I sat on this stage, which was dimly lit, and looked down into even a more dimly lit hall, and uh, began remembering all of the individuals in that ward, and how much I loved them, and who they were, and their quirky personalities, how much we had shared testimonies and service, and given blessings to each other. And I felt very dry at that point compared to that previous time. And, um, and I started to weep sitting there on the edge of the stage. And, um, and the closing words to a poem that Robert Frost um, wrote came, came to me, one that I had memorized or tried to memorize. And it, it's from his poem, uh, Here are the, Here's the Line. It says, Here are your watering places. Drink and be whole again beyond confusion. To me at that time, those words meant that here in the community of saints is where I found nourishment and strength. Here was where I was watered and refreshed. From that time, I began returning to the community of the saints. A different person than I was before. But, uh, but So community has become a, a, a pillar of my faith. I don't think it's the core pillar of my faith. The core pillar of my faith is my belief in God as I understand it through the person Jesus Christ. But I think a person's religious life must be lived out in community. And let me briefly explain how I understand that and then I'll be through. Um, I, I see much of my life trying to understand God. In fact, I understand my life as a spiritual journey, and I understand my articulation of that as a dialogue with God, that is a lived conversation. Sometimes I'm living in dissent with God and saying, I don't agree. Sometimes I'm living in assent and saying, this is wonderful, I feel a friendship with you, I feel part of you. Sometimes I speak out loud the way Tevier does in Fiddler on the Roof and talking to God. But much of my life, most of it is, is my life, uh, well, the, the quote from the lectures on faith has always resonated with me, where we, where we need to know that our life is, that the course we are pursuing in our life is agreeable to God. I, I want to live a holy life. I believe a holy life is possible. I have tasted it at times in my past, and I want to have that. At the same time, I'm not sure I understand exactly what a holy life is. I have come to believe that everything I think and know are metaphors. I understand life through the categories and language that my culture and my religion has given me, and they are not absolute truth. Uh, we could go on to that more, but I, I hope most of you understand what I mean by that. I don't even know for sure whether Jesus Christ really was who he said he was, or whether my understanding of Jesus, which has changed so much over time, is but a category. However, 
I do know that I feel a spirituality that whatever God and divinity is does is able to speak to me through that person who I've come to know as a person and and who calls to me to live this better life. And, uh, and on a day-by-day basis, Jesus is very real to me. And the life that Jesus calls me to live is very real to me. And yet I can step back abstractly and say, that may all be a metaphor, a symbol, whatever you want to call it, that God is willing to speak through to me. And in some other culture, he'll use other symbols. That's entirely a possibility. I do not know that. I just know that I am trapped in my time with this symbol, and it works very well. Similarly, I believe the same is true about Mormonism. I am in the Mormon culture and in the Mormon community, and I find the Mormon ideals very attractive to me the concept of growth and progress, the concept of making heaven here on earth, that of of service to other people, of living life in community, the equalitarian uh, messages in the Doctrine and Covenants, and the calls to social justice. They all speak clearly to me and define my life, and I feel the spirit very agitated and animated about those. I have no idea whether they are absolutely true, whether God really spoke those exact words and wants me to know them. But it really doesn't matter to me because even if I gave up all of those categories and tried to find the absolute truth, I would be trapped in some other categories. If I gave up this culture and moved to some other culture, however excruciating that psychological work would be, even if it was possible, which probably it isn't, I would still be trapped with that, that sense of arbitrariness. So I choose the things from my Mormon culture that I feel the spirit that I've learned through my life works. And those that don't, I'm happy not to live with them, and they don't bother me too much. Um, that is my journey. That is my conversation with God. As I, as I work on something, and eventually I say, this isn't good. The spirit doesn't really resonate with me on this. And, um, and I have to abandon it. And, but sometimes it's, I do that, I hold on to something for a very long time when I don't. That is a scary life. It's a life of freedom, and it's a life of friendship, and it's a spiritual journey. The dangers of it, I think, must be checked by living in a community where your life is not only in dialogue with God, which you can often, often create in your own image, but your life is also in dialogue with a believing community who can say to you, that doesn't look right, or we value that, and we don't value that. And I, I believe our lives need to be lived in a religious believing community for that checking, as well as for the opportunities to love and serve, and be loved and served. So I guess those basically are my two pillars of my faith, a loving community of saints, and um, and a and a testimony of a God who calls me to live a life. I'd like to conclude just by reading some of the passage, one of the passages that just resonate to me. I, I've, I have a passion for the New Testament and New Testament scholarship. Parts of it now I read and I can totally dismiss and say, that's just Paul speaking. Other parts, when I read and whenever I read them, they just say to me, yes. This is how you can be. This is how you should live. They're the same themes that were in 1 Corinthians. They're the same themes that are in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. It's the message of Paul that we can put on new creation. We, with the Spirit, we can become a new creature. We need to be children of light instead of children of darkness. 
here is Paul in Galatians, heavens that a Mormon reads Galatians, but um, where he says, anyone can see the behavior that belongs to the unspiritual nature, fornication, indecency, debauchery, idolatry, and sorcery, quarrels, a contentious temper, envy, fits of rage, selfish ambitions, dissensions, party intrigues, jealousies, drinking bouts, orgies, and the like. I warn you that no one who behaves like that will ever inherit the kingdom of God. But the harvest of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, fidelity, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no such law. There are so many similar passages of pastoral counsel in the New Testament, particularly in the epistles of Paul, that whenever I read them, whether they're in Ephesians or Colossians, that passage which says, you need to live the fruits of the Spirit, be a children of light, put on a new creation of love, of gentleness, of kindness, of meekness, uh, That is a spirit that calls to me, and I feel an affinity with Jesus who does that, and that's why I need a community to do those things with. I feel somewhat embarrassed to talk about those issues because people who work with me on a close basis, I think, know how much I don't possess those uh, attributes, and I genuinely feel guilty about them all the time. I I don't feel guilty about a lot of things, but I do feel guilty about not acquiring those traits as gifts of the spirit. Um, I, I like having the remnants of my faith work a new creation in me. I feel freed from so many of the trivial concerns that can divert us from the, those issues that the Spirit, I think, at least in my life, is so agitated about. I don't find the Spirit concerned very much with um, picky doctrinal points and administrative concerns. But I do find a spirit that calls and haunts me to become a new creation. And uh, I can, there may be a better way of articulating it, but I am in the Christian Mormon tradition, and I love that tradition, and, and it works very well for me, and the spirit seems to be able to speak to me very well on those core issues. And um, those are the few remaining, but very real and strong beliefs that there is a God, there is a divinity and a spiritual side of life, and humans can change by, um, by connecting with that individually as well as in community. Thank you. It may not be on the mountain high or over the stormy sea It may not be at the battle's front My Lord would have need of me But if by a still small voice he calls To pass that I do not know I'll answer, dear Lord, with my hand in thine I'll go where you want me to go to go, dear Lord, over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord, I'll be what you want me to be. Perhaps today there are loving words 
which Jesus would have me speak. There may be now in the paths of sin some wanderer whom I should see. O Savior, if thou wilt be my guide, though dark and rugged the way, my voice shall echo the message sweet. I'll say what you want me go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord, I'll be what you want me to be. There's surely somewhere a lowly place in earth's harvest field so Jesus the crucified. So trusting my all to thy tender care, and knowing thou lovest me, I'll do thy will with a heart sincere. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll go where you want me to go, dear Lord, over mountain or plain or sea. I'll say what you want me to say, dear Lord, I'll be what you want me to be. I'll be what you want me to be. I'll be what you want me to be. Thank you.